0: Hi everybody and welcome to episode 22 of Fashion in Focus. Today I'm being a little bit self-indulgent and I've decided to bring onto the show a really good friend of mine, a past employee and someone who has been kind of by my side I suppose in the PR journey especially across the last three to four years. Um, Today's guest is Rebecca Marney. Now Rebecca is a PR specialist and works on managing community investment for David Jones, based in Melbourne, Australia. And we're lucky enough to have Rebecca in our studio today. She's flown back from Melbourne, quarantined safely, and is sitting with me on the couch in Franklin Road Studios. Hi, Rebecca.
1: Hello, Murray. Thank you for having me. I can't believe there's been 21 episodes prior to this.
0: Yeah, I knew Before inviting come up. me on the show. I know. This is a sore point. <laughs> wow. Anyway, Rebecca's in the hot seat today because, like I said, it's a little bit of a self-indulgent episode where we can talk about what we do. And Rebecca's been become a great friend. She worked with me when we used to manage the department store across marketing, social media, content creation. She then worked with me at showroom twenty two, we managed brands like Bendon, Sunshades, and latter David Jones. And then Rebecca made the decision to move across the ditch first to Sydney and later to Melbourne to work in the hub of the David Jones communications and PR teams. And today, I think this is a real geek episode for like geek marketers, PR enthusiasts, if there is such a thing. Um, and I think why today it is definitely really is. there's definitely a thing. I think why today's episode is is going to be fun and interesting is because it's a real interrogation of what we do and how it's changing. Rebecca's been gracious enough to make a few notes, which is going to drive our conversation. And really, we're going to look a little bit at like what we do and how it used to look, and how it's changed now. We're going to look at, you know, why why we can't do events anymore, and. Do we su- still use press releases? And what is an influencer and can they help our business? How has COVID-, COVID impacted on PR and marketing? Consumer habits, spending, community messaging, everything that us PR geeks geek out on every week.
1: I prefer PR purists. PR actually.
0: purists. Okay, we'll go with PR purists. So Rebecca, let's get into it. We've got 45 minutes to uh, discuss in great detail everything that we do. Mm. So let's talk about how you got into the industry because so many people are interested in PR and comms. They study PR or comms or a BA at university or maybe fashion and they go, "Hey, fashion PR is something for me." <laughs> so what was your journey and how did you get here?
1: How did I get here? Um I got I was exposed to the industry by the late, great Anna Castleberg, who is my best friend's mother and she would invite me along to do help her style shoots and I'd be steaming and then I started f- tailing her at fashion week and she would sneak me into shows under your nose, Maz. Mm. And then after that, I decided that that was quite interesting and then got a bit muddled, did a year of law, transferred. And then focused on English literature, where I decided I wanted to write. And then that kind of re-evolved back into this fashion industry thing when I met you at the department store. And I don't actually remember how I became responsible for the social media and marketing stuff, but it kind of just happened. And then
0: I think it was because I told Mikhail that you were a great writer and you had a way with words. Ah, it was like thanks, Hey, guys. we need Instagram captions. <laughs> She's our girl.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's how I got there. And then one day I was driving home from the department store and I was on the motorway and you called me and said, hey, Rebecca, do you want a job at Showroom 22? And I was like, haha, me, really? I'm not that cool.
0: (laughs) Um, And this, I think that's an interesting point because, and this is going to sound a little bit wanky of me, but I'm going to, but hear me out. I think... Being in fashion, working in an agency, PR, we've got great clients. Our showroom has kind of almost become uh, a sort of somewhere that someone who's trying to get into the industry or get into PR, they're like, man, it would be great to work at Showroom 22. And we do get a lot of people that come through. And I think fashion is full of these kinds of people that Mm. see the glitz and the glamour and the parties and and the end result. And they go, that's what I want to be a part of. And what I saw in Rebecca and for anyone out there listening, thinking about careers and education and study and whatever, what I really saw in Rebecca was um, she was extremely articulate. She did have a great way with words. She could hit a deadline and she could also kind of, to put it bluntly, she could work a room and she could, she was interesting to people and people wanted to talk to her and she could hold a conversation and, (laughs) and, you know, like she laughs. But there's an enormous amount of, Natural ability in people that are great with PR that you can't learn at university, you know?
1: I think there's that element of, thank you, that's so kind, but um, (laughs) I think there's also that element of sort of having a natural tendency to tell stories anyway, which led me to taking the role with you because I thought, oh, that sounds fun. And I sort of said, well, I haven't studied it. I don't know anything about it other than kind of what I'm already doing with you at the department store, RIP. And you were like, no, 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 no. It's not rocket science. Like, come along, like, it'll be great. And it was, and it was so much fun and terrifying. I think the first <laughs> job I had, I'm pretty sure I wore heels to the office for the first week and- Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Concrete force. Huge. Huge lumbar support, gone. Um, but yeah, I think one of the first ones was that Heidi Klum jacket, mm. um, which really pulled things into focus for me. Because that was, yeah, really challenging and equal parts terrifying. There was one occasion, I think, when a journalist phoned me up and told me that I was an embarrassment and I called you crying.
0: Yeah, I remember that one. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one.
1: I was... Absolutely traumatized. So, for
0: anyone listening, this was when Bendon launched their Heidi Klum Intimates collection, 2016, 2017, maybe? Yeah, 2016, Eric. And this was massive. You know, like Bendon had launched Al McPherson decades ago, huge moment for the brand, biggest circus in town. And then along comes Heidi, and we want to recreate the same thing. And as we'll get into later, what was amazing for me to be learning with a brand like and a client like Bendon and especially for Rebecca managing this was expectation management, budget management and especially with a celebrity like Heidi who we had in the market for I think a day, literally 24 hours.
1: Not even I reckon.
0: How to make the most out of a super super tight kind of schedule and people as you can imagine left right and centre wanting their slice of the pie and us having to manage the outcomes.
1: I mean you say manage I reckon in my case it was more just like floundering around the edges trying not to panic
0: cry. Yeah, well, there was a, there's, I think there's a certain amount of that in PR. There's yeah. Amount,
1: oh yeah. <laughs> there's oh yeah. A
0: certain amount of panic crying. A lot
1: of air kissing and then just quietly retreating to the bathroom. Yeah. What
0: am I supposed to be doing <laughs> again? Yeah. So yeah, for anyone who wants to get into PR, don't you don't have to have it all sorted out on day one. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I think for me and definitely for for Rebecca, that event was a was a massive, massive learning curve, and hopefully, it um it would have uh kicked you into gear for the role that you're now at with David Jones and, and expectations about, you know, managing a brand with such a fierce reputation.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think too, not working with Kiwi brands who I would say the management style is that much more relaxed and that much more kind of less fixated on deadlines, which I have a tendency to kind of observe more as guidelines than deadlines. So I think um, it was so good for me to learn that those things were actually finite and there was a consequence if you didn't meet them
0: because
1: mm. I was so used to talking my way out of things.
0: Yeah. And for, for I don't, well, strange to ask any of our listeners if they have uh, ever met Heidi's PR manager before, but <laughs> she was an absolute force to be reckoned with. And of course, the great thing about someone like Heidi is that she can walk into a room smiling from ear to ear, looking And like she
1: was delightful.
0: The most gracious, the most relaxed effervescent person in the room because all the problems have been sorted before she gets there.
1: By this woman (laughs) who I'm quite tall and she was as short as I am tall but wearing those like seven-inch Christian Louboutins and like a flesh-coloured patent leather with a platform and I can can hear them in my mind (laughs) in that 48 hours in the lead-up and then the arrival and it was just... And that's when I met Adam Walling as well,
0: mm. who I Yeah, know shout out to with. Adam who uh, runs his own agency in Sydney still.
1: Yeah, he's Adam a, a, a big
0: name in Australian PR, especially in fashion. So, um, Adam, if you're listening, thanks for your guidance <laughs> across the years. But yeah, it's it was an amazing time, I suppose, to to understand real, true celebrity management and and the expectations of of brands and clients and people around the world and i i vividly remember heidi's manager coming in to see us in the morning before heidi got out of the elevator and she had a real go at us because we hadn't an- allowed enough time for heidi to sleep the night before and that was like okay we we're on we're dealing with that level of detail here you know like a pr agent is being told to manage someone's sleep patterns and that's just the world that we were thrust into for that for that 24 hours mm-hmm. it was a pretty pretty amazing experience So, Rebecca, you jump forward a few months or a few years and Mm -hmm. you come out of showroom 22 and you've got this amazing opportunity at DJ's in Australia. Now, the move to Sydney would have kind of freaked you out, probably half terrified and half excited you.
1: I think, actually, you and Amanda Nakami were running a wager on how soon I'd be back.
0: Um, I probably lost that one.
1: Which I respect because (laughs) pay up.
0: (laughs) I think I owe Amanda. Yeah, it's it's, (laughs) so... So jumping into a brand like David Jones and coming from being, you know, one of our senior PR managers at the showroom to all of a sudden going, wow, I'm being invited into being a a team who's at the nucleus of this pretty massive engine and not just a cog in the wheel, but one of those people that really makes the, the machine work. And obviously, you know, anyone who's listening from Australia will know what a massive brand David Jones is in Australia. And yes, they'd already opened their Wellington store in New Zealand and they were yet to open a new market. But there there wasn't as much of a sense of of brand power in New Zealand, so we never really got the full idea of of just how powerful David Jones was. So when you got into that role in Sydney, what were your first impressions of of the juggernaut?
1: I was so nervous. I thought all of my dreams had come true. I was getting this great sort of in house PR gig and a sort of chance to really developed my skills. Um and it was just so much bigger than I could have even fathomed. And fortunately my then manager Jess Macon who had um brought me on board, she was quite supportive and was also pre like had lived in New Zealand for a very long time. Uh she's a Kiwi, so that would make sense. And she um sort of forewarned me and was like, "It'll be a lot." And anyway, I hopped off the plane on the Sunday. It had a wedding on the Saturday night. And so I wasn't feeling very well. And then on the Monday, we had to go to Brisbane for a store opening, and this was my first kind of, you know, we'd spent six months working up to the Wellington opening. It was like such a big deal, and I literally hopped off the plane straight into this like full operation which was so exciting on one hand, but also like, I don't know, what do people wear in Brisbane? Like I had all of these extra details that I hadn't even got my head around. And then a tropical cyclone hit (laughs) and the store opening was cancelled, but not before we'd actually got there. And we're staying in this new hotel, which started to leak. And then the talent that we had with us needed to get back to Sydney, but all of the airports were shut because the rivers were flooding. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And we're all like getting um emergency text messages telling us to go to high ground defense <laughs> i'm like 3 days off the plane into australia
0: this, so how I mean, old was i
1: 23 or something i don't know i was terrified
0: part of what i love about working with people in general is and especially you know i was i started my business at 22 you like you said were 22 23 when you got this opportunity mm. and you're just bowled into this this crazy world that you've just got to think on your feet. you mm. know. And I love hearing the stories about like we've got a, a woman who works with us now that went over to New York and did some internships and just hearing about how you just get off the plane straight in the cab right to the office, bang, you're just there in the middle of this big juggernaut. Mm. And that's, I think, I still think these days, and this is a little bit of a throwback, I suppose, to maybe the heyday of like, you know, um, what's that great Tom cruise movie where he's like is it risky business vanilla sky not vanilla sky definitely not um you're kind of thrust into these moments in life where you just have to sink or swim and you've got to learn and you've got to kind of fake it till you make it a little bit
1: oh the first year at DJ's was there was an expectation well the role that I took was slightly more junior than I was in the agency and I was like it's a way up obviously I'll take this great in-house opportunity to kind of you know um but even the style like the press releases that I'd be writing for them which now don't take very long at all were taking me a week and 15 versions of revisions with my bosses and like I would just be head in my hands being like what is wrong with me am I illiterate like oh my god And it was literally just faking it and pretending that everything was A OK and that I knew what all of the acronyms were while I'm like panic, (laughs) (laughs) panic googling. Another panic cry. Another (laughs) cue, another panic cry, and another panic gurgle.
0: Yeah. Hey, so thinking back to those early days at David Jones and and coming out of the couple of years with Showroom. You know, you're working with Sunshades, it's brands like Lespex, Karen Walker, Oriton, Morrissey, Suby, Sass and Bide. Mm. So you're getting used to kind of these, these bigger brands and expectations. Then mm. you come through Bend On with Heidi Klum. And to a certain extent, and this probably is not as clear to people who don't know our business at Showroom 22 inside out, There's a certain amount of stuff that you kind of know that you do in PR or that you used to do anyway, Mm. which was a little bit formulaic and a little bit like, here's a campaign. This is how we roll it out. Yeah. And I'll probably like, this is a little bit of a jump forward to today, but we'll go back and forward. Flash forward. There are so many things that you and I used to do as PR practitioners and marketers Mm. that we either can't do now or we know won't work, Mm. you know? And coming out of New Zealand, you were working with at that stage maybe smaller brands like, you know, Georgia Alice or 27 Names or Ingrid Starnes and Deadly Ponies. And then you're asked to can you put the same strategies in play for, you know, a Jess Gomes campaign launch for David Jones?
1: Mm.
0: What what have been your experiences and thoughts and and that that constant, like, am I doing it right or is this gonna work? Because for anyone who, who's studying to come into this career, there's no formula, right?
1: No, no. And I, I well, I, I didn't study it, so I don't know. But I felt like I got thrust in the deep end. Cue Murray Bevan, oh, you'll pick it up. Um, and I did. And it was everything I learned. I learned from my bosses or from reading over people's shoulders or for, from Googling it or reading
0: books and pretending
1: mm. that I already knew
0: it. I mean, there's an enormous amount to be said these days for companies that host internships and want to put people in real world situations. Like, I
1: wish that, I mean, I didn't have the path that I wanted to take sort of firmed up so much. And I think that for me, I would have really benefited from an internship or from shadowing people, much like I did when I was a teenager with Anna. Um,
0: Do you think maybe that someone, that internship could have also run the risk of showing you that this wasn't the path? How much do you think was Oh yeah,
1: totally. Like I mean, there's an element of I, I mean, I've managed interns and it's not it's not the fun stuff that you get to do. You get to go to the party, but you're mm. you know, dragging an intoxicated person out by their ankle.
0: Yeah. It's not filling up bins of ice and chilling up chilling Steinlagers for yeah, yeah. for the guests. Yeah. It's... Exactly. And I think I mean we Rebecca and I just came out of a, a discussion with some students who'd come up from EIT in the Hawke's Bay. And one of them asked us, like, kind of what have we learned and what are the hard bits and why do we stick around keeping doing what we do? Which was an interesting question to to answer. And often you don't think about it because the pace that we work is so quick. You don't really sit down and go, God, last week was great or I'm still doing this because.
1: I think that's why I love it, to be honest. I'm probably never looking back, right? Yeah, I'm not a personality that would probably benefit from that much self-reflection. So it's, Mm. you know, charge on and keep busy. I always make jokes about, you know retiring to a small island with a vegetable garden and a dog and just living the quiet life. But I know that after a week, I'd just be climbing the walls. Yeah, same here. Organising a
0: show. Hey, now, so for as much as PR is about promoting products and selling things and constantly, you know, encouraging people to buy something new, Mm -hmm. we're also in this world which is telling us all to slow down. Mm -hmm. Buy less, be more conscious of what we're spending and buying and how it's you know folding back into the earth, mm. and of course you've got this other hat that you wear at David Jones, which is as much about pushing the new thigh high stiletto boots as it is about <laughs> encouraging people to think more consciously about their spending and 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 also driving David Jones to be more mindful about the ways that it supports community. So, as a fashion PR practitioner, tell us about that journey of. Of starting to balance those two things and maybe this year and and in recent years more more evenly than ever before
1: yeah absolutely especially this year and especially in australia i think you know we had a horror bushfire season followed by covid followed by you know people who were vulnerable then are even more so now um and that journey from absorbing community investment into my role with our team and my boss Prue um, was about, yeah, it came along, you know, quite quickly and our heads were spinning. I was always, you know, I I like to think I was fairly socially aware, but I, um, no, it was amazing. And it's been such a huge learning curve working with non-for-profits, especially at a national Australia scale, where you sort of think that It's New Zealand a bit bigger, but it's Mm. five states, which all kind of act like countries. Yeah. Don't fact check if there's five states. I just made that up. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't actually correct you or or agree with you on that either. Someone
1: Google it. I don't know. We're in PR, not geography. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, What what about the ways that you've learned about how people operate? You know, like, in again, in fashion, we kind of, we assume and have assumed for so long that people want more and often they want it cheaper, you know, often in many, many years before recent times, they Mm. haven't cared so much about where it was made or who made it. They just want it.
1: Well, I mean, look, remember Topshop? When Mm. we opened that, there was a million people up the street. And I wonder if the reception would be the same now if we did that on Queen Street in Auckland. I think increasingly, we talked about it earlier today, that customers are choosing products and they're choosing brands that align with their values. And it's more and more about telling those stories and helping them form that opinion over and over again through the various touch points of your business that make Mm. you want to consider that brand over that brand.
0: Yeah. And I think it's probably a a little bit of a stretch too far to say that part of your job working for DJs is to make people fall in love with, with the brand but it's also not that far away from the truth to think that when we deal with PR and marketing we're looking in this you know sorry to sound cheesy and bring up Kevin Roberts' book Love, love Marks but
1: I do, I do not know this book. yeah for
0: anyone who's listening Kevin Roberts the ex-CEO of Saatchi Kiwi guy based in New York for many years wrote this book called Love Marks and uh, a lot of the thinking around marketing brands is literally, about getting people to fall in love with them. Mm. And, yeah, we talk about storytelling and about, you know, I mean, even if you break it down crudely into influences or gifting or events or whatever, building love through authentic moments of interaction. And I know Absolutely. that sounds super cheesy because it's it's like Amanda Nakabi used to tell us, it's PR, not ER. But love you, Amanda. I, <laughs> I really do think that things like corporate responsibility and... You know, customer attention and community management for a big, big brand like David Jones is so, so important. and it will help them sell products to be blunt. If you fall in love with the brand and you think they're doing a good job, you will be more loyal to that company, you know?
1: Ah, oh, absolutely. And I think I mean the fall in love point that you made, Um, and the book recommendation thanks for joining our um, podcast
0: today (laughs) brother thanks for for joining our podcast aka book choices book club
1: brought to you by borders um I think it's being over generous for me to say that you know PR as part of a whole brand is solely responsible for making customers fall in love I think it's those layers and and I this is should disclaim, all of this is my personal opinion. But I believe that it's, yeah, that fine balance of all of the things without oversaturating your customer, without them feeling sick of you. And it's that very fine balance that makes you become the considered brand.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I suppose there's a, to a certain extent, our clients are always on us to get more coverage, sell more things, tell more stories, be, be in the press more. And there's something to be said for actually taking a foot off the gas and giving everyone a little bit of a break, you know, um, and letting them let those stories just sink in and absorb a little bit more.
1: Yeah, you just want them to sit and marinate for a bit, you know.
0: Yeah, and I don't think in the world these days customers are given the the chance, you know, they're just bombarded with things all the time. And our job as PR agents and marketers is to kind of actually try and get more messages from our clients in front of them. So. I kind of more in this-
1: messages, but also I think the right messages is the most important bit. I think increasingly customers are so bombarded with so many messages all the time. Are you more likely to purchase a t-shirt from a company that you know has a community partnership with X, Y, and Z? And you know that their t-shirt cotton is ECI, but you're also paying $10 more. So it's that value proposition, I guess, Mm. of knowing that you could go down the road and get it for $10 or go up the road and get it for $20 and know that there's a broader reach to your purchasing decision. Mm.
0: And some people will do that because they feel in the heart of hearts that they want to make a better decision. And other people quite frankly will do it because then they can go and tell their friends how much of a better human they are and there's a really great story on the business of fashion at the moment about the challenge that sustainability has in fashion of some customers don't know what sustainability actually means when a brand says we're sustainable they and it's you know it's kind of a in broad brushstrokes it's that greenwashing idea that they don't quite know what they're buying into, but they'd love to know that their brands are quote unquote sustainable. Therefore, they might go and spend money with them or even spend more money with them than a different brand. Mm. And that's when the storytelling and the narrative and the community engagement and the authenticity becomes so much more important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sustainability is not my area at all, but I do think that there has to be that midpoint between acknowledging that the industry itself is not sustainable, but Mm. knowing that the purchasing decision that that customer makes as a more informed and increasingly more discerning customer is um, making the best possible decision.
0: Yeah. Now, Rebecca, also thinking about changing ways of consumer behaviors and, and patterns of spending and and also in our world where we're not dealing necessarily directly with consumers, but with the media as our public. How are you guys adapting in the world of PR to maybe say how you launch a campaign, bearing in mind that the whole world is shifting away out of necessity at the moment from no more fashion weeks and even maybe your buyers having to look at virtual showrooms. How are you addressing that from a PR point of view at David Jones?
1: I think the best example I can give you is the season that we just launched a few weeks ago where we would usually be on the ground up in Sydney for up to a week all hands on deck flying in media the whole kit and caboodle and this year was just obviously well this season was completely different and it was also a considered decision where we ran scenarios and we thought right How are we forecasting September to look by the time that we do this? Will there still be travel restrictions? Because we were sort of out in May making these decisions. And it was about getting great outcomes and really strong stories with well-formed narratives and well briefed spokespeople to really build out those stories that we were trying to achieve, which was... A huge challenge, but also so interesting to be able to—I don't know—work your way and sort of launch a retail season through mm. via PR through a pandemic and through kind of low consumer sentiment across the board and job loss and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and especially I suppose for a, for a company like David Jones, which for anyone who knows the company, especially their activity in Australia, they um, they've almost come to be synonymous with these absolutely fantastic seasonal launches which are literally attended by thousands of people and there's shows and there's matinees for the media and there's celebrity ambassadors and incredible models from all over the world walking on the runway and then, of course this year you're like well we we just can't do that it's just not safe you know so you have to pivot straight away
1: yeah um and Morgs, my colleague and i were laughing about it because you come out the other end of those huge launch weeks where it's you know one year we had Carly Kloss and another, you know, and you come out the other end and you're kind of a shell of a human and then you recover and you're like, right, the next one.
0: Yeah. And you, and you look forward to it.
1: Oh yeah. It was so exciting. Like we sort of, you know, complain while we're so tired working all night is to get it done. But now but... you miss them, right? Oh yeah. 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 But also I think thinking critically, like I love the rush of that stuff. And I think that any honest publicist would probably agree that Mm. you know there's nothing quite like yelling at someone backstage yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's nothing like finally getting the earpiece i deserve but i um no i think you know i don't think it's right for this time anymore you look Mm. around and you see you know less and less shows and Mm. we arguably got a really strong result doing 1 20th of the activity mm. and being really, really smart about it. So for this yeah. year, we filmed on a closed set, a video news release and had very sort of tight protocols in store to shoot um, media activity and mm. set up shots for the following day.
0: And what do you reckon about the, the public sentiment towards that and, and, and influences and in media and editors and stylists that normally would have those tickets, especially around fashion weeks and that kind of cyclical world that we used to be caught up in? People become quite cynical about that because they've just got, they're just snowed under with this mountain of invites to shows and they kind of go, oh yeah, I've got this invite to Prada or an invite to Burberry and oh, there's two shows on at the same time and now there's no shows you know and one of our earlier podcast episodes is with Tim Blanks from the business of fashion and he of course Mahira. is oh my god Tim's the the man and he's created such an incredible reputation as the guy who can absolutely read the room and bring to life the magic and the energy of a fashion show and for decades
1: ah, oh, just the ultimate litmus test to me like I look to Tim I'm obviously an avid reader of business fashion and pretty much anything but I his read on the general mood the general even uh oh, just his writing is outstanding
0: and he he brings to bear everything else that that comes that sort of his his Uh, created that moment. Mm. And and he's got so much knowledge, of course, about what's come before and the shows before, the seasons before, the years of experience that designer might have had and why they've created what they've created in front of you. And to take it back to DJs and, and even Australian Fashion Week and to a certain extent New Zealand Fashion Week, which has obviously had to be put off for a year, I think it's been amazing to actually say to consumers and media We all have to be – we all have to show, are we really committed to this?
1: Mm.
0: And because we can't dine out on an Instagram shot of the first outfit that's coming down the runway for that show, do we still want to be here? Am I getting that – am I turning up to that show with the ticket because I actually genuinely love being a part of this industry and I'm absolutely obsessed with that brand? Or am I showing up just so I can tell my friends I went, you know? Well, yeah,
1: like I think – that whole discussion about democratizing the fashion week experience by having everything super digital, you know, there's no longer the coveted front row seat. Everyone is a front row seat, mm. right?
0: So, And like with Gucci, everyone was backstage. Yeah. And then you could flip to being front of house and you could, you know, see all the models and they were being Oh, so their smart and so selves. innovative.
1: And I think that's what it's about and why... I don't know there are so many like me that have just fallen in love with the industry over and over again, even when they're like, oh, I'm tired and maybe I should just work for somewhere boring. But I think it's that constant innovation and people coming out with an emerging talent and great ideas and huge discussions and big dramas and it's just these sort of extremes of emotions that I think is what appeals to customers too. You get mm. transported to this world that you and I know mm. back of house there's a publicist panic crying, but <laughs> for a customer it's or a you know, a viewer, it's so exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I kind of I'm on this knife edge between what fashion has traditionally done, which is produce and create this hyper real world and this this moment of escapism for people and this other hyper reality that we're in now where mm. everyone is having a pretty tough time in 2020 Mm. they don't have as much money to throw around they don't have the shows and the events and the parties to go to to feel glamorous and to take them away to another world and for us as publicists and again for anyone listening we're not sitting here having a cry into our um
1: oh my god disclaimer i love it
0: yeah it's like it's a challenge and we at the same time, we don't want me- people to be buying copious amounts of stuff and sending it to landfill. But our but that's pl-
1: part of the great challenge to me is how to sort of ethically communicate a brand's objectives and ethically talk about, you know, what's important to this brand and bring them to the forefront of your consumer's consideration without, you know, necessarily, I mean, it's got to be commercially viable, but it doesn't have to be wasteful.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think for our industry, this whole year has been a really amazing time to recalibrate and say, look, maybe what we were doing before isn't going to work or wasn't ever ever working and we were kind of kidding ourselves that it maybe was. And for big brands like David Jones, there's probably also an enormous amount of responsibility to take the lead and be innovators and say, look, we are innovators, we are industry leaders, we are big brand names, we support young businesses, we also clothe thousands and thousands if not millions of Australians and Kiwis a year we're responsible to let people have an amazing time in a, in our stores and create event experiences and retail experiences creating
1: an experience right
0: yeah and and i mean retail's been pushing that way for years it's like it's no longer about a transaction it has to be about an experience
1: yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, <laughs> let's uh, take it back to 2015. But like the Easter Bunny show at um, the Easter show at the department store, where we'd roll out baby animals <laughs> and get a candy floss machine, and I would just froth it because I just roll around with a baby bunny in my jacket all day. But that was like, I mean, I like to think that we were, you know, onto something back then. Yeah.
0: Well, it's about work it's health a...
1: and safety. I don't know if probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's about pioneering a way that brands can not always be talking about themselves and not always be talking about how to sell another product and i think that's a massive challenge for people like us and again anyone who's listening to wanting to get into the industry or also thinking like god how do we how do we do this and actually who cares and who's going to sit down and listen to my story i think you've got to assume that there are people out there that care and yeah there's fashionistas that want to fill their wardrobes with more and more new pieces every week and hey those people are always going to exist But I think for big brands, there's a huge responsibility to, you know, take time, create moments, create narratives that can educate and can support a more conscious consumerism. Um, And I think
1: it's great to see people doing archive sales and stuff like that, that aren't necessarily pushing the next big thing Mm. or the next great style, but kind of clearing that dead stock and making use of it. And, you know, I think that's really, I think that's great.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks, Rebecca. This has been a really interesting chat and, yeah, a little bit self-indulgent for us to talk about Ourselves. us and what we do. But
1: favourite topic.
0: <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us. And for anyone who hasn't uh, checked out the amazing new David Jones store in Newmarket, please pop in there and, and have a look around. Again, like most of my guests, um, Rebecca is an open book. If you even need to get in touch with her, please feel free to email us fashionandfocus at showroom22.com. Um, She's a wealth of information and has had an incredible few years skyrocketing into the world of fashion PR and she's a real leader for us in New Zealand. So thanks for your time, Rebecca.
1: Thanks for having me, Maz. That was fun. Not as scary as I thought it would be.
0: It never is. No. All right. Have a great day. Bye. That was the latest from Fashion & Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.